Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there. <clears throat> and welcome. It'd be a Thursday. Thank God. September 23, to be specific, and September 23, 2021, to be even more specific. And on top of that, I love this weather. It is so cool, so wonderful. I just read today that um, three of our seasons, summer, spring, winter, fall, not necessarily in that order, three of our seasons are getting shorter. And uh, one is well, taking up the slack and actually getting longer. And you don't have to be a a genius to figure out uh, which one you think is getting longer. Yeah. Summer. Now, I know a lot of people love summer, but the way summer is, now, you know, presenting itself, I guess, um, is is nothing that I like, I'll tell you, not uh, generally speaking, uh, and I'm talking about high temperatures and, and humidity. Um, so my favorite seasons are all shrinking, but I do love fall. It's my favorite. And uh, so I'm in heaven today. I just love the feel of this air. Ah, I was thinking something, uh, I think it was yesterday morning. Um, I was feeding my dog. I was doing the things I do in the morning to get uh, up and ready. And I was aware, um, as I guess I almost always am of this sort of uh, low-grade anxiety that was very evident in in my, you know, I I once went to a therapist who was an anxiety expert, and she, every, every time I would say, I'm feeling anxious, she'd say, where do you feel it? As if where it was in my body was important. And if you think about it, you know, some people feel anxiety in their gut. <laughs> some people feel it in their chest, in their, and this anxiety for me was like in my chest. I just feel like this, uh, just, you know, uh, on edge, like my heart's probably beating faster. And do you know what was causing, I mean, I knew what was causing it. What was causing it was my concern that I did not have enough material to do this hour. And it is not unusual for me to have a, well, to always have a certain level of anxiety uh, when I begin this program. And it occurred to me that it seems so silly 
And I did sort of say this to myself in my head yesterday. For God's sake, I said to myself in my head, not really speaking out loud, you've been doing this for like 45 years or something. Do you think you could trust that you'll be okay? And it all seems so silly. And yet, it doesn't dispel the anxiety. And I have a feeling that um, once the anxiety goes is when I stop doing it, That I guess. And I suspect that uh, anybody who is performing in some way, um, if they lose that sense of, oh, I wonder if I, oh God, am I going to be okay? Do I, you know, if you lose that, then you're probably not going to be doing very well. You should hang it up. I got a feeling. I become extremely anxious when I'm asked to give a speech. Can you believe? that. But then I become extremely anxious when the doorbell rings. (laughs) So the level of my anxiety, my anxiety is just this constant. And for people who don't have that affliction, uh, boy, I I envy you. Because I, I can't imagine sort of I don't know how easy it would be to just encounter life if you didn't have constant anxiety. It's just, and I'm sure, I don't know what the stats are on how many people live with a, just a constant level of anxiety. Uh, but I bet it's pretty, I bet it's pretty high, but I bet it's still in the minority. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you that because I was feeling it again today. I sort of looked down. I thought, oh, God, I don't have it. And I thought, shut the F up, I said. So anyway, I was just sharing that with you. And you see what I did there by sharing all that with you. I ate up seven minutes. (laughs) That wasn't my intent. (laughs) But I probably my sense of how one makes it is to then, you know, go in a different direction than one would usually. So I didn't jump right in. Hey, I got to tell you guys, um, I know I've said it before, but that Ken Burns, uh, Muhammad Ali uh, documentary, it's uh, four two hour episodes is I think just wondrous. It's done now, but obviously available. And um, I I just can't recommend it enough. What an amazing life. And of course, watching the last uh, episode last night, uh, I ended uh, up just uh, sitting on my couch in, with tears just running down my face. I mean, almost sobbing. 
it is unbearable to lose someone who you, I don't know, feel such love for. And I, I did. And watching the documentary and, and seeing him whole, he was far from perfect. There was a dark side to him. But overall, what a remarkable human being. And God, I, I, you know, there's so many things I want to say, but I mean, this is crazy. I shouldn't subject you to it. Just, just watch that. Watch it, will you? Um, there was a, a quote from uh, Bob Dylan, who also loved him uh, upon his death, that so hit, so on the mark, one poet to another. And he hearkens, Dylan hearkens to back to Mohan. Muhammad Ali always saying, you know, I'm the greatest. <laughs> I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Which, you know, obviously put white America off. One forgets how reviled he was. And yet this man who was a boxer, became in many ways one of the most uh, sought-after, powerful, influential people in the world. Every The people who had the power wanted to be seen with him. But Dylan said this, if the measure of greatness is to gladden the heart of every human being on the face of the earth, then he truly was the greatest. In every way, he was the bravest, the kindest, and the most excellent of men. I don't doubt it. So while I'm sobbing, listening to this, they show Larry Holmes now being interviewed for it. And he talking about beating Ali starts crying. Even after he beat Ali in real time, he felt no pleasure, only pain, because he'd idolized him. He'd loved him. And he'd had to beat him up. And to this day to see that that still causes Larry Holmes such pain. Ugh.
you got to watch this. I'm telling you. Now, for those of you who don't like looking at boxing, <laughs> at heavyweight boxing matches, it could that could be a problem because uh, you get to see an awful lot of uh, Ali's consequential matches. And uh, they can be hard to watch. And they can also be astonishing to watch. And uh, I credit my ex-husband for getting me to appreciate, on a certain level, uh, boxing. So I'm just saying, I, I really hope, I, I hope you'll, you'll watch it. Uh, there's a lot of American history in that. And especially for this time of, of black awareness and the fact that black history has been uh, obliterated by the white folks who tell the story. Uh, Ali's courage and um, it's just, I'm, okay, I'll stop. Stop it. Somebody tell me to stop it. Oh, I have one other, um, sorry. I have one other apropos of nothing thing that I have to uh, uh, share with you. I know some of you are Jeopardy uh, fans, right? I've always considered myself one. I, I found myself, frankly, not watching much. Every once in a while, I tune it in now. And every time in the last month that I've tuned it in, the same damn guy is still winning. And I don't know about you, but I can't stand it when somebody like owns the show for a long period of time. I can't think of his name, but this guy now, um, he doesn't just win. He obliterates uh, the other contestants almost every, every time I've seen it. Um, and it makes you, you know, desperately want him to get beaten, but, I can't bear watching to see who finally pulls it off. He apparently is the third biggest money winner in the history of the show. So he's getting up there into Ken Jennings territory. <clears throat> and, uh, <coughs> excuse me. And I, um, I can't watch. And I also can't watch cause I don't like what's her name. Who's doing the show now. I can't, Okay, change is hard. Change always happens, and I want the Jeopardy champion to change. That's all I'm saying. God, he drives me crazy. I guess there's no way to be in that position and be lovable. Is there? I mean, because once you're on the top like that, it's just human nature to want to see you come down. Um, it, and in fact, I'm sorry, back to Ali, white people, white America in general, didn't start to love him until 
he was taken down. Because Ali is a braggadocio, gorgeous, strong, the greatest black man, unapologetic, was something that a lot of white people can't like. They fear. But once he started slurring his words and shuffling, Instead of walking, once he clearly was stricken, then, then, white America sort of started acknowledging how wondrous he was because he wasn't on top anymore. That's my, that's my spin. I'm sorry, I have a caller. I just got a reminder about a caller, and I never saw the original. I have a caller, and I'm really sorry, caller. Hello? 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 Yes. Hey, Lynn, uh, it's entertainment, so you got to express the trash talk and the, uh, you know, the show. That's all show, so if they didn't like it, then don't watch it. I mean, that's what he was. He was a show entertainer and a great He was an incredible showman. He what you are absolutely right. And it's why he couldn't stop when he should have. Uh he couldn't stop. He loved being Muhammad Ali, the great entertainer and performer. It's true. No some people yeah. didn't like um what I wanted to ask you is I don't know <laughs> jog your memory, but you're gonna I know you're not gonna you're gonna say well your memory's not that good, but anyway. No, it's not. You Remember, my neighbor told me back in the 1800s. I don't know where he read this. How the hell am I supposed to remember back oh, well, in the you 1800s? Might have read it. You might have read it. Oh, uh, all right, thanks. I know I'm old, but I don't okay. mean that. I mean you read a lot more than I do. I know you do. And he said that a volcano somewhere, and he says there's a movie made about it. I think uh-huh. it's cracked. It, and we didn't have summer for one year that is true yeah it, and that is so weird when he told me that and I don't think well that is it. true and i think i forget where the, it was somewhere in asia and i think and the 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 whatever the that volcano spewed into the atmosphere uh ended up circling the globe and and remaining uh there for yeah it really changed the weather for an entire year. I know that's all. I do vaguely remember it. Yeah, but I'm thinking these people don't think there's climate change, and you could you could starve <laughs> to death if you can't grow crops. I mean, it's just. But they think, uh, well, yeah, they're just an example of a volcano, and that's just well, I can't say smaller scale, but it's still, you know, compared yeah. to the whole ocean and everything, all that stuff disappearing, right. and so I don't know. So no, and yeah, I you know I forget was that Krakatoa? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, was it? Yeah. Well, remember that, but not so long ago, and in our lifetime, um, the Icelandic volcano that went kaplui and interrupted air travel. Uh, you, you planes could not 
like fly nor make normal flights across the North Atlantic like they do. So uh, it totally interfered with uh, travel and uh, at certain levels commerce. And that was like, I don't know, what was that? Seven, eight, nine, ten years ago or something. Yeah. You don't remember that? Because that, that, oh, that yeah. happens. Yeah, that, these things are nature is an ast- just astonishing. You but do remember, of course, the co- oh, yeah, you do remember the commercials uh, with that woman who said, don't mess with Mother Nature, right? Yes, I remember that. What was she selling? Margarine? No, not margarine. She must have been selling real butter. There you go. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well. Okay. All right. (laughs) Thank you. I I killed five minutes for you. You did. God bless you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And I'll tell you what. I'm going to kill a whole bunch more with the obit of the day. This obit. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. I'm sorry. This obit so blew me away. I certainly knew of this man, but I did not know of the extent of, God, the noise in my neighborhood. Okay, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I got to close the door. I got all my windows and doors open. So so love, so love this weather. Anyway, uh, I want to tell you about this amazing guy, sort of like uh, Ali in his way. Uh, I got a caller. I better let the caller in first before I go off on on this. Uh, Caller, go ahead. Go ahead. Hey, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I just wanted to kind of reinforce your point that you started off with about the the uh, kind of performance anxiety. Um, yeah. I, I did uh, mental health and substance use training for many years um, in you know seminars and workshops and so on. And I can tell you that it was a, a and I probably did them maybe two or three times a year. It was a never ending source of anxiety for me. I always obsessed for weeks uh, in terms yeah. of gathering information, preparing, never thinking that I was going to have enough material. And I remember one time I had to do a five-day presentation to the Coast Guard, of all people, in Minnesota um, as part of their um, required tr- training every every so often. And I cannot tell you the angst I went through in preparation for that. And invariably, to, to just to kind of how common an experience this must be. Invariably for me, I always never, I never even got through the material that I had (laughs) (laughs) because I was so overprepared, let alone run out of material, you know, along the way, because you just find a way to fill and and then do and do whatever. And I, and I think your other point about, when when a person when one loses that sense um it it may be uh it may be time to hang it up because you want to always deliver a good product for your audience right 
And if right, you don't exactly. put, and if you don't put in the work, whatever that work is, whether it's anxiety work or whatever, then you're not going to be a quality um, presenter or host as you are. And so, right. so that's right. all. I just wanted to share that bit of a comment. Well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, and I feel for you, though. It is. It's rough. Five it's, days, man. I would have been I would have had to check into Western Psych for a while. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially especially in the middle of Minnesota, and you know, three feet of snow or whatever it was, <laughs> with nowhere to go on the outside. So um, you okay. survived. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. Thank okay, you. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> so my obit, not my obit. Soon enough. You know, I already asked a friend to write my obituary. <laughs> what an awful thing to ask a friend to do. I hope she doesn't mind. I just, I have a number of friends who I could have asked because I have a number of friends who are great writers and who know me very well. But I asked her. And what I did is create a level of anxiety in her. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, my God, what I must have, that's a terrible thing to do to somebody. It just occurred to me. If somebody did that to me, and I always am asked to write obits and eulogies. Uh, but it's a tough, that's a hard thing to do. It, because you you want to do the person justice and you don't want to go on forever, and you want whatever. Stop. Somebody stop me today. I don't know what's going on with me. My obit. Not my obit. Melvin Van Peebles. Obit. Now, coming off the Ali thing and then reading Melvin Van Peebles, I thought, jeez. guy is like, they're two amazing human beings. I just want to let me just read this one paragraph where I thought, what? Okay. Over a six decade career, Van Peebles continually reinvented himself. Here are some of the things he was an Air Force officer, a San Francisco cable car operator, a filmmaker a novelist who wrote in both English and also wrote in French, <laughs> nominated for a Tony Award as a playwright and as a composer and winning an Emmy for his writing for television. He was also a spoken word artist, a performance artist. And in the 1980s, the only black floor trader on the American Stock Exchange. And that was the result of a bet he lost. <laughs> he was so filled with self-confidence. 
if this guy ever had an anxious moment, I would be shocked. He's the kind of, he's got the kind of inner, uh, he's so sure of himself, so filled with a sense of, I can do anything. And he did. He just kept moving from one thing to the other. <clears throat> he did not. He came from nothing. I mean, you know, no money, no connections. <clears throat> and, he, well, the, the obit, this is the Washington Post obit, says he, he, he willed himself <laughs> into recognition with whatever he was doing. Now, most people, when they know know his name, they know him for starring in, writing, and directing, excuse me, and producing, and uh, what have I left out? Being the stuntman and the star of a movie. He literally, talk about willed something to life, the movie was... In 1971, just to set it, uh, you know, in a chronological timeline, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And boy, what he did with this. It got an X rating by the motion picture, whatever group that is that does the the ratings, it got an X rating because no black, no black person had ever dared to portray a black man fully as a strong sexual being, somebody who wouldn't take shit from white police officers and was on the run as a, as a result. But he made this from a black man's perspective, intended for a black audience. And he was such an operator that at one point, he's doing a graphic sex scene for this uh, movie. And I can't believe this is true. Myself, because it even says in the obit, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps this happened. He said he had contracted gonorrhea during the filming of w one of these sequences and that he applied to the Directors Guild for compensation for being hurt on the job. And he got it the money and he says he used the money to buy enough film to complete the movie <laughs> I just love it he was fearless um, I'm trying to look for how when he got the X rating he decided he was going to advertise, to use that as an advertisement. And I can't find that part of it. Um, but he he flat out, you know, told essentially his black audience, you know, rated X by the by the white 
by the white guys. He rated X by an all white jury is how he <laughs> promoted the film. Just brilliant. No one had given him any money for the film. Black, uh, black uh, actors, uh, many turned him down for being in the film because they were afraid if they were in this film, it would destroy their career because they needed white Hollywood to, you know, give them give them chances, I guess. He bluffed some bank into giving him a large line of credit. Uh, he got 50 thou off Bill Cosby. And then he shot the film in 20 days. And it ended up making more money. It was astonishing. It was astonishing. And it, that, you know, woke up the studio executives. Uh, duh, oh, you mean black people buy tickets too? And so what ends up happening after Van Peebles puts this, this stunning, wondrous uh, perception of a black man that, American film had never, ever allowed. White Hollywood says, hey, man, we got to get in on this. And that's what caused those blacks, what's called black exploitation films, low budget, sexed up, violent action films. But what they didn't have in those films was what made Van Peebles so powerful and memorable. Hollywood, of course, squeezed the political messaging of his film out. And we're left with the sex and the violence and the car chases. And he said this, the formula for Sweetback was preempted, taken and perverted and watered down and used in a counter-revolutionary way. He hated those black boys. Asian films. He says, I don't care how many black faces are in them. These are products financed by the white Hollywood establishment. Um, and that, as I, you know, I started with all this stuff about what he'd done in his life. This was one thing that he did. This guy was everywhere. I mean, he, and there's always this sort of audacity, this odd, as he said, as I'm going to quote Tim Peebles again, if you're smart and white, you're considered a shrewd businessman. 
if you're black, you're considered a militant troublemaker. So Hollywood never went near him. And understandably, he probably didn't give a damn. His music, he put out an album, jazzy funk song poems that a lot of critics have said was a precursor to, to what became rap. He plowed the profits he got from Sweetback into two Broadway musicals for which he wrote the book, the music, and the lyrics. And by the way, my understanding is, is that these two, uh, or at least one of them, is uh, maybe going to see uh, the light of day again, is, uh, is going to be produced again. And that's called Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death. Um, <laughs> so how do you end up as a broker on Wall Street? Well, um, he bet a friend. Uh, over how much money he would get off some kind of a real estate deal. And under the, the, under the terms of the bet, if Van Peebles lost, he agreed he would go to work as a floor trader on the, at, on Wall Street. And I, I have to tell you, you know, a lot of people make bets how many people would have made good on that bet? I mean, if, okay, so he lost. And he goes and does this outrageous thing. Of course, he ended up writing a book about it called uh, Bold Money. That came out in 1986. And it was reviewed as a, impudent but prudent text. Uh, this guy was just flat out amazing. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. He, his son is carrying on the, uh, the, the tradition of, you know, being out there, he lost a daughter. At one point in his career, I have to tell you this because you can't even believe this stuff. After he learned, he was living in uh, in the Netherlands. Then he had his marriage starts crumbling, uh, and, and then his finances are kaplooey. So. He moved to Paris and supported himself as a gigolo. I left that out of the other, you know, what the kinds of work bad people's done. And apparently he said he made tons of money as a gigolo. And that's where he wrote novels and he applied for a, a director's license that you had to have. Um and it was because he had he had heard that the French government would give uh, work and grants uh, to French directors, and 
And he said, I knew they meant a French citizen, but they didn't say that precisely. So I said, I'm writing in French, therefore I'm a French writer, right? I'm directing in French, so therefore I'm a French director. And a bureaucrat bought it and passed him a director's card, and he started turning out books and feature movies in French. The French loved it. In fact, they took his first French movie, The Story of a Three-Day Pass, which was about an affair between a black American soldier and a white French woman. And they made it a France's official entry into the San Francisco Film Festival. This is 1968. And reviewers went wild, including the big, 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 hard-to-please reviewer, Judith Christ. And Van Peebles was left chuckling, saying, yeah, I was a critic's choice at the festival, but they didn't know I was an American, let alone black. I I mean, it's what an extraordinary life. So. Melvin Van Peebles, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm trying to look at what they lived a long life, died at 89. The headline in uh, the post obit is fiercely independent filmmaker. Melvin Van Peebles dies at 89. And as I was saying, I mean, he reminds me of Ali again in that he exhibited the same kind of up yours attitude to the powers that be white and was just openly a proud black man. At a time when that was just not the way to get ahead. Audacious, wondrous. Little Tony says about Jeopardy, I stopped watching it a long time ago because of Matt Amodio. Is that the guy? That is it. That's him, the one who's winning all the time. He ruined the show. It's a total bore. Yeah, it is a bore. You don't want to see the same guy. It's just not fun. Why would and Tony, you're absolutely right. Why would I want to tune in and see him win night after night? The guy is so smart. There's no doubt about that. I got sick of watching him and just stopped watching. I hope he loses every night, even though I don't watch anymore. Well, I feel the same. I feel the same way. And you got to think, how the hell is he ever going to lose? He knows everything. Although, yeah, I watched again last night. I happened to tune in. And um, I actually knew something he didn't know. And I can't remember what it was now. But I got it right. And everybody else got it wrong. When you know when that happens and you're watching Jeopardy, you feel like, hey, hey, am I, am I hot or what? Hey, for those of you who uh, who always liked Al Franken, he's making a comeback. No, he's not running for Senate. 
he's kicked off a 15 city uh, comedy tour. He's going back to stand up. And he's using a lot of his material is about <laughs> the Senate being a, a senator. And man, you know, obviously the fodder there is extraordinary. It was really amazing when he did uh, win that race, how he just turned off the wise guy and, and was this maybe overly, you know, uh, careful. God forbid he should say something even vaguely funny. He just decided, okay, I'm not Al Franken anymore. I mean, not Saturday Night Live Al Franken. I am now a United States senator. And he, anyway, he's he's building, uh, he's billing, excuse me, uh, his tour as the only former U.S. senator currently on tour tour. I have no idea if that tour is coming uh, through here. I I do not know. Apparently, he owes Ted Cruz a lot because Ted Cruz is an, a constant source of uh, a fodder. Here's the only thing that I got. That he uh, he says. I like Ted Cruz more than most of my colleagues like Ted Cruz. And I really hate Ted Cruz. You know, I have to tell you something. Ted Cruz, I mean, you can tell he's vile, but he must be so supremely vile that it's a given that there is literally not a soul that likes the guy. Uh, so just saying, Hal Franken's on tour. I got a call. Hello there. Morning. Morning. You, uh, had a, you had a guest a couple of years ago, maybe more than that, um, who worked on Jeopardy show. And I guess he had Pittsburgh roots or something like that. And, um, and we were all, you know, we were able to ask him a lot of questions about what happens behind the scenes and stuff when they're taping the show. But one thing I want to know, and I, and I don't expect you to know it, is when this guy, somebody wins like this, can they bring in like, okay, we're going to get some ringers in here. We, 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 you know, they, or is it just no? Okay, your time. No, up. It's, it's, no, you can't do that because of the they can't you know, quiz. No, no can't fiddle with whatever formula you use to bring in, uh, you know, contestants. This guy knows so much about so many topics. I don't know how you find somebody who can take him down, but you know, that was true of Ken Jennings. He hasn't won as much as Ken Jennings won and he's number three. So there's somebody else, number two, that I'm not thinking of. Um, so eventually he'll go down. He'll have a bad day. He'll, you know, whatever. Uh, and it's not like he doesn't seem to be a bad person, but I literally hate him. I, <laughs> it's not his fault. I mean, it's just, I you can't help it. You know, we do, we love underdogs. We don't like overdogs. After a while, you just want them out. But it's, he's just destroying them. I mean, they don't even get to yeah, the is. second round and, and he's already winning by no. $20,000. 
and it's just like, I know. and and it's just like, do, do they rate like when people go through the the process of qualifying for the show? Do they ever go through a rating process? Like, man, this woman here, she she's pretty smart. And they'll well, give her maybe, a maybe five versus you know, one. Yeah, maybe, maybe I mean, they do. I'm not. Like, I'm maybe not they're, like they're bring, trying to throw the. I don't know what calculations they make, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. That maybe they'd be trying to find people they think could take poss- have a chance of taking them out. Uh, but geez. You know, wake me uh, up I mean, when it's over. I mean, I, I can't. I and I think the questions have been hard. I mean, I think things. Are, I think they've upped that. It's some really tough stuff. I think. And he just yep 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 yep. But it, 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 here, it's the flip side. It's boring for us. But at some yes, point, it's boring for become, the audience. Yeah. But but at some point, does he become like, oh my god? We got to tune in to see if this guy loses tonight or tonight or tonight, and maybe it brings in. I, I don't know how that plays with. with I don't the think show. that's is working. It, Do you? I okay. mean, Tony said well, it turned it him true? off. It turned me off. You know what? I might do is tune it in midway through and see what's happening. And if there's a shot that he's not, you know, twenty thousand points ahead, um, you know, maybe I'll. I'll stay to see if he'll get knocked off, but I, no, I don't want it. It's boring. Yeah. But are they bringing people who normally don't watch the show is the question, you know, like I, I'm, I'm a pretty right. Yeah. I try to watch it when I'm around, especially dinner time, but, um, yeah. or washing dishes, but it, it, it is it's like, and there's an annoyance factor. I, he almost, he almost seems like he's got a condition. Like, didn't you get in trouble? <laughs> yeah, like, like, what do you yeah, mean? I, I, I don't condition. What? I don't want to get into it. I don't want to offend anybody. Never mind. All right, all right, all right, all right. Oh, you're going to say what? He, He's like, uh, no, okay, I won't either. No, I don't think he has a condition. He seems socially uh, comfortable, and I don't know. He's just a, he's a guy who knows an awful lot, and I wish he'd go away. Because he's ruining well, a show I like to watch. That's all. It's yeah. ruining a show. Yeah. And they, look, I'm sure the producers are very aware, uh, but the, I don't know what they could do about it. I don't remember feeling this way about Ken Jennings, but I think that's also because we've never seen anybody on a run like that. And I, I don't know. I don't remember, but this guy's driving me friggin' nuts. Could, could it be oh. the com- combination of the, the host? Maybe changing I mean, and no, not liking that. I mean, it could be a comedy. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Anyway, yeah, all right. Well, let's hope he loses. <laughs> He's just shy of a million dollars at this point. I, would, I just want and, to see a good game. I just want to see a good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that means somebody's yeah capable of winning. I mean, yeah, I agree. With I, that. I, I, okay. Remember when like the Patriots were undefe- going undefeated, went undefeated <laughs> until they lost yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and I, I hated them because they were winning by like 40-some points in the fourth quarter, and Tom yeah. Brady's still in there throwing bombs. And I'm like, why? You know, it's like I just – piling on, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just I, – okay. I try to reach for everybody at some point. But, oh, well, never mind. Okay. Okay. Have a good Bye. day. Bye. You too. Bye. 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 I want to um, uh, end – Oh, first of all, no, I have to share this. This is my favorite tweet of the day that I saw. 
let me do that and then I'll get to this other thing. And by the way, yes, I have more than enough material here. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so there was this on Twitter. It was posted by a uh, an MD a woman, and she said, just saw a news item that a woman was arrested for stabbing a hospital worker yesterday. And the article said, quote, the worker was able to return to work hours after the incident, end quote. And the doctor posting it says, that's fortunate. But I think if you get stabbed at work, you should get the rest of the day off. Is that not true? What? Can you imagine? She got stabbed at work and was able to return to work hours later. You get stabbed at work, you get to go home. But it was a, oh God, I don't know. Okay, so John McWhorter, the uh, linguist, has waded into the changing pronoun situation, the fact that, you know, so many people now put at the bottom of their, you know, emails or whatever, preferred pronouns, they, the, them. I mean, that's not right, is it? She, hers, he. I, no, that's not right either. But as you can see, I'm reluctant. But I get it. And he wades into this. And He points out, as any linguist would, hey, guys, you know, I was saying earlier how I don't like change. Language changes all the time. And there are times when it makes big changes, like changing how people use pronouns. That's a biggie. And he said, we should be really excited. I guess I, linguists now are very excited that they're living in this moment where they know the language is undergoing a huge change. As he puts it, they tell you mountains become sand, but you never get to see it happening. Language change happens faster. And you actually get to witness it. It's something to treasure. So I'm just telling myself and those of you who are annoyed by the changes that it's a wondrous historical event that is happening before our eyes. And then he, he tries to school us as linguists have uh, tried uh, of late, that things like pronouns have always been having to change. I mean, there wasn't even a pro there are places where there wasn't even a difference between he and she. Everybody was just he. For a long time. I mean, we're talking about old English, but yeah. So at some point, those folks long ago decided that women need to be called something different, have their own pronouns. And even as recently, you know, uh, when John Adams was uh, 
was overseas in, in France, Abigail back home would write him. They'd exchange letters. I'm sure you've seen some of them or heard of them. They were wonderful. And he quotes uh, Abigail Adams in one of the letters she wrote. She wrote, I wish you was nearer to us. What? That doesn't sound right. I wish you was nearer to us. But that was perfectly okay. She was an extremely educated person. And that was how you would say what we now say, I wish you were nearer to us. Things change. And and he says, what seems to gall some people about this new singular they is that people are requesting to be addressed in a novel way that just doesn't seem right. But then he says, how is that different from not that long ago? And I, I'm going out on a limb here and saying, I think you're all old enough to remember When the title, Ms. M.S., was introduced as a proper title for a woman, there had only been Miss and Mrs., which delineated a woman's marital status. Man, as Mr., you didn't know if Mr. So-and-so was married or not. There was nothing delineating it. But Miss or Mrs. told you. And so Ms. was like Mr., a neutral. Do you remember? And, and today, does anybody get upset about Ms.? I suppose there's some holdouts, but... I don't think so. So, and he points out other things. Um, I remember how it felt, he says, to be an English speaker in the late 1980s, when seemingly overnight, one was to say Asian rather than Oriental. African-American rather than Black. Now, of course, black has made a return. <laughs> and, and as he says, and yet the earth kept spinning and references to orientals are now so antiquated, they sound crazy. So we do make these changes. So just as people like Abigail Adams said, you was, <laughs> there's probably going to be, it'll take a long time to figure out how we deal with they in terms of the verb that follows. A lot of people are saying, well, it'd be, if you're using they, it'd be a plural, like they are ready for their highlights now. But he says, not so quick. You do not know that that's going to be considered proper. It could be that 
It will be they and then a singular, such as uh, they are ready. Wait a minute. They is ready. God, I don't know. But anyway, he's telling us, calm down, enjoy the show. Because pronouns historically change. Okay? I'm hoping you'll feel better. And I have to tell you, I got a flu shot yesterday, and I just read an article that says we all should do that more than ever simply because nobody knows anymore how our immune systems have been affected by the fact that last year there essentially was no flu because we were all hunkered down. I don't know. And I wasn't intending to. I mean, I would have eventually, but I'd gone to pick something up at the drugstore and they said I'd have to wait for 15 minutes. And they said, have you had a flu shot? And I said, no. And so I got one. And uh, just saying, putting it in your head because it's getting on close to October and that's the time to get them. Okay. All right. Well, as usual, my anxiety uh, was uh, not necessary. Um, and I didn't get into any of the heavy stuff, did I? I had some here, but I managed to uh, avoid it and I'm thrilled. Um, and I hope you are too. So uh, it's the beginning of my weekend and I hope you guys all have a pretty good one. Enjoy the cooler weather and I'll talk to you again on Monday. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.